In today's show, we're looking at the Dallas Mavericks and whatever it was that happened with them this season. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore bball and TikTok at redrock underscore bball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Price Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's pricepicks.com and the promo code is Locked On. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. We're here to look at the Dallas Mavericks. Very, very weird team with weird things happening all season and a very weird off-season coming up. We don't know what's going to happen. We're going to try and work out what might happen and what it means and how we break down what happened. Before we do that, just a quick update on the NBA playoffs. The first round is over. The Warriors beat the Kings in Game 7, as you're well aware. Now they go on to play the Lakers. I'll talk more about the Kings when I do their season review, which will be coming up uh, pretty pretty soon. Um, but yeah, look, the Warriors against the Lakers. What a uh, an interesting matchup with both of those teams. The 6th and 7th seeds matching up, won a playing team. Uh, I think the Warriors will win. But I, I really don't know how that one's going to go. I, I did have the Warriors beating the Kings, but I had the Grizzlies beating the Lakers. And then I had the Grizzlies beating the Warriors, I think, in that matchup. So I'm not really sure where I'm going to go here, but I am thinking I'm going to pick the Warriors. We also saw the Nuggets smack the Suns in game one of the semifinals. Not sure that they'll continue to be that good, but you know, my initially had Suns in six, changed it to Suns in seven. Now I'm probably going to go Nuggets in seven, I think, after that. But yeah, my original pick was Suns in seven after seeing the first round of the playoffs. The Heat beat the Knicks over in the East, and now we're waiting for Sixers Celtics, and there's no Joel Embiid, so I think the uh, Celtics are going to be able to win that one pretty comfortably, would be my guess. And that's where we're at with the NBA playoffs. Let's talk about this Dallas Mavericks team. Warnie. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> Oh man, I forgot that I've been like a little bit, a little bit unwell, and my voice and my lungs are all crackly. So I tried to do the laugh, and that hurt a lot. Oh man, Jesus Christ! I forgot, I forgot that. I forgot that I can't do it when I'm sick. There you go. The Mav season. You'd have to say it was, if I'm going to be kind, disappointing. If I'm going to be accurate, mean, realistic, a disaster, shit house disgusting from a coaching, general managing, and probably on-core performance from a lot a lot of the players. Although I, a lot of it, while you do blame the players at times, it's not always their fault because they have capabilities of what they can do. And the coaches and the general managers didn't put the right people in the right positions a lot of the time. Conference finalists, which again, last season's very similar to, well, not very similar, but I guess there are parallels between when the Hawks made the conference finals a couple of years ago. No one expected the Mavericks to make it. They had to upset the Suns to get in there. And so maybe that puts us a little bit, the expectations a little bit higher on them. Their offseason at the time was pretty disappointing. They're losing Brunson and bringing in nobody was somewhat of a concern. So we didn't really expect them to be as good as they, they were the season before. But it didn't really expect 38 and 44. Still had a positive net rating, plus 0.3, 18th in the NBA. The sixth best offense, but 23rd best defense. And we knew that when they did make that trade for Kyrie Irving, that they were going to have no hope of being able to defend. We said that multiple times. Yeah, part of the problem with Christian Wood as well is no defense. And then when you trade away your best defenders, they had no hope of being able to defend anybody. And that was the problem literally all season for them. And it just got worse and worse as the season went on. The Again, the roster makes no sense. There's very little depth. There's very little upside um, it's a huge off-season for them coming up, and they are, are they at the crosswords? I don't know, crossroads, sorry, not crosswords, crossroads, is Nico Harrison, former Nike executive, actually and a good GM? I would say no at this point, and I would say that a lot of his moves have been confusing and downright bad, so they have a lot that they need to work out. Is he the right man? Is Kid the right man? Again, the answer to both those questions should be a categorical no, 
but it won't be. So they're going to have another opportunity to do this. And let's see what they're able to pull off. Their best lineup for the season. Again, we're not going to include players who weren't on the team when um, uh, at the end of the year. So all the Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith lineups don't count. But the best lineup of players who remained on the team, and it was good, plus 30.2 net rating, Doncic, Josh Green, Tim Hardaway, Maxi Kleber, Christian Wood. You'll notice a certain superstar they traded for is not, is not in that lineup. No Kyrie Irving. Is that indicative that Kyrie's the cause of their problems? No, it's not. Like, I, I don't think that the acquisition of Kyrie, who was still awesome when he was there, and Kyrie did not cause them to go on the losing streak and did not cause them to be as bad as they were. Like, there were plenty of positive lineups. There was a lineup with Kyrie that was a plus 14, another one that was a plus 6, just that this one here was a plus 30. So, and there was, you know, other lineups here where we're quite negative in, in other situations where Kyrie wasn't there. It wasn't Kyrie's problem. The reason that I killed the Kyrie trade is not because Kyrie was bad. It's because of the process behind it. And the reason they were got worse was because of the Kyrie trade, but not because of Kyrie. Because it didn't address the fit that they needed, the players they needed, the players they lost. They didn't replace them. It's that sort of thing. So that is not Kyrie's fault, but it's the front office and to a lesser extent, kid and putting the lineups together, but more the front office of not understanding what you actually need to win and making a trade. And Kyrie did exactly what he does, probably even better at times, but he did what he does. It just wasn't what they needed and it didn't make any sense. It's the case of diminishing returns. You've already got Luka Doncic running a pretty good offense and Kyrie made it better, but did it make it better enough to offset the drop in defense? The answer is no, but that is not his fault. That is not Kyrie's fault. He can't come in and become Marcus Smart, Derek White, um, you know, elite Mikhail Bridges. He can't be that guy. That's just not who he is. So that's just a poor execution from the front office. Let's look at their free agency coming up. They can, and they're projected to have $22 million in cap space because they've got a bunch of unrestricted free agents. Kyrie Irving, the number one there. Do they bring him back? Does Kyrie want to come back? Now, they are the, the only team that could offer him the five-year max extension. Would they want to? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. But they traded for him with the expectation that's what they would do. So they are probably going to try to do that. Yeah, five years, whatever it is, 250. Do they go three plus one with a player option at 50 million or whatever it is? Maybe. Does Kyrie just be like, I want to go somewhere else? I don't think so. Because Kyrie, part of the reason that he requested that trade from Brooklyn is that they wouldn't give him the money that he wanted. It wasn't about anything different to that. It wasn't about fit or coaches or vibes or culture or championships or anything. It was like, hey, where's my money? That's what it was about. So we can talk about, well, Kyrie will be willing to sit out a season to sacrifice for whatever his beliefs are. It's just not true, I don't think, because the reason he was traded was because they wouldn't give him money. And the place that he gets the most money is in Dallas. Now, obviously, things did not work well at all, and there were horrible vibes all the way through. Not his fault in Dallas. But who is giving him anywhere close to what Dallas is giving I would put it at over 50% likelihood that he is back in Dallas. I will put it at close to 90 plus percent chance that I will kill Dallas if they do give him a five-year deal. Because not Again, not because it's Kyrie, but because it is of the fit and the combination. And then I don't know what that means for Luka Doncic because things are bad there. Like it's not a great situation at all for Luka, for the vibes, for the whole situation. There's a lot of weird stuff. They've got two other guys who were key rotation pieces as unrestricted free agents as well. They traded a first-round pick for Christian Wood, who, again, is a guy who is significantly overrated by box score stats. And people really love, man, but he can be a 20-10 and 10 all-star. Yeah, but he's horrible on the other end. Now, there were times I think Jason Kidd didn't use him correctly, but there were times when I think Jason Kidd was totally justified in not playing Christian Wood because, again, of how bad he is defensively. And there is a reason, and we'll talk about this later, there is a reason that he went back to Dwight Powell because Dwight Powell might average six points a game. But almost almost universally, whenever Dwight Powell plays, the team is better through defensive positioning, offensive positioning, low usage, seeding stuff to the stars, whereas Wood is not that guy. I really don't think Christian Wood's going to be back. I also don't think Christian Wood's going to get the contract that Christian Wood thinks Christian Wood deserves. But... I don't think he's going to be back. And then there is Dwight Powell, who was probably overpaid on his contract. And while he is a positive impact player at times, 
through just doing little things that don't show up, he's old and you don't want him as your starting center. But if they bring Kyrie back, they got that 22 million there. Maybe they can do something. Who do they bring in to replace him? Does another trade to trade future assets away to get him in? We'll talk about future assets in a second. I don't know. And then there's all these guys who, honestly, this is how bad this team was. This is why they, they were so poor. Like, look at this depth. Markeith Morris, Theo Pinson, Frank Nilakina, Justin Holiday. Remember when they started Justin Holiday? Like, nobody cares if those players return. They offer nothing. Morris is old. Holiday's old and ineffective. Nilakina's never done anything, and neither's Pinson. So they are... But you should get rid of all those players. You should probably look at moving on from Wood and Powell, and I'd honestly be looking at moving on from Irving. You know, it's gonna the problem that complicates is is Doncic because you're going to make your team worse in the short team term, even though it will be better in two to three years time. But you have to try and sell that to Luka Doncic, which yeah can become a difficult decision. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks a great new offer: the one million dollar. Daily Superflex promotion. You know what Price Picks is? It's like Daily Fantasy. Well, it is Daily Fantasy, but it's just player projections. And now, every day of the NBA playoffs and finals, one Price Picks user gets a chance to win or gets a chance to become a millionaire. You place your entry after 8 a.m. Eastern, and they'll randomly select one person each day. And whoever placed that entry gets a six-pick six flex with the following payouts. You get all six right, $1 million. You get five right, you get 80 grand. You get four right, you get 16 grand. And you're just picking... Numbers, player projections, more or less. Points, rebounds, threes, assists, whatever. Put them together, you can win a, mil- a million dollars. Full details can be found at pricepicks.com slash million. You must opt in at this link to be eligible for the million dollar entry. And once you opt in, all you have to do is play the game like normal and you could be the lucky winner. So download the Pricepix app or go to pricepicks.com. Sign up, play daily fantasy sports. First time users could also receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PricePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PricePix will give you $50. Bucks. Don't forget to enter the promo code LOCKEDON. Sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Okay, let's look at the NBA draft. For the Mavs, they only have one pick. They might have zero picks. How could they have zero picks? I hear at least somebody ask, because Josh, they tanked. They tanked their asses off. They sat Kyrie and Luca and everyone down the stretch, so they would keep their pick. Yeah, but no. They tanked so that they would likely keep their pick. Likely. They have a 66% chance of picking at pick 10. They have a 20% chance of losing the pick. And the rest of that percentage is, which is 14%, that is the likelihood of jumping into the top four. So they have 66 plus We've got 80% chance of keeping their pick, 20% chance of not. So it is far from a fait accompli that they are keeping this pick, that they tank their asses off. Now, if they had have moved into spot 11 and they hadn't have tanked and they were in the 11th spot, well, they would have had a 8% chance of keeping the pick. That is why it was so important for them. As much as you can talk about competitiveness and this team could have won and got in the playoffs and made some noise, the reason they did this, it was an 80% chance to keep the pick versus an 8% chance to keep the pick. And given what we're talking about, how their free agency looks, how can they sign anyone? What do they do? Having this as an asset to trade or make a pick or do something, it's one of the only avenues they have to get better next season. And that is why that is important for them to keep that pick with a 10% chance or 14%, whatever it is, 14% chance of getting a top four pick versus losing the pick in almost all likelihood. That's that's the difference there. So that's why they did it. So a lot of the odds 10, most likely spot is 10. That would put them, based on my mock draft ADPs, at Case and Wallace. They probably wouldn't pick Case and Wallace. You would hope that they would look for a forward. Now, this is a team that, yeah, they'd probably look to trade it, but you know they are in a situation where you don't have to go best available, especially when you're picking a pick 10. People always say go best available, and I do too. But often, how do you know who best available is? And when you get to this point in the draft, and a little bit later, you might have six, seven guys who are all considered similar, and that's where you can lean a little bit more into fit. When at the top of the draft, where I think Scoot is significantly better than, say, Brandon Miller, Fit doesn't matter to me, especially because those teams are bad. I'd take the better player. When you're in a situation where I could argue that it's Kaysen or Anthony Black or Taylor Hendricks, well, if Hendricks was here, I'd pick him immediately. 
um, or a bunch of four or five other guys. Maybe Bryce Sensible is in this area. Yeah, that he's been pushing way up into this into the draft. Like, who is the best? I don't know. But if you find them close enough, then you pick the guy that makes the most sense. Let's go to the question from Michael Craig. He says, are they actually a destination? Or does Cuban just get the word out that he's offered to overpay a guy and he's considering it? I think we know for sure they're not a destination. They should be. They're Dallas. They've got Luka Doncic. Even in the past, they had Dirk. They never sign any free agents. None. No free agents ever go there. Cuban might make out these offers and he's signing one. No one ever goes there. There is zero evidence they are any sort of free agent destination. None whatsoever. Is it Cuban that puts him off? Is it Doncic? It can't be Doncic because it hasn't. It, he hasn't always been there. Can't be Kidd because he hasn't always been there. Can't be Harrison because he hasn't always been there. Is it Cuban? Is it Dallas? I, I don't know. But they are absolutely not a destination. They never have been a destination. They probably won't be a destination at all. So they have to make their moves through trades or trying to draft guys in their draft record outside of Luca, which again was brilliant to be able to go get that guy and make that move, every other pick, that's pretty bad. Like they picked 31, picked Tyrell Terry, played about one game and then retired. That Tyler Bay at pick 33, I think of that same draft, never played. These are premium second round picks. Now they don't have a second round pick this season, but they are, yeah, they are not a destination and their record in building a team has been bad. Let's, let's talk about Luca. Oh, stunning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was Luka Doncic's season a success? Was he, who was drafted at pick five, ADP of five, he would have gone at one in some spots. Was it a W to draft him there? Let's think about it. If you're in a points league, there is absolutely zero doubt that this was a W pick. He was the number one overall player in per game value. Number one overall. You can't complain about that. He was number two in totals. A, a gigantic W, and you would imagine he continues that. In category leagues is where it gets more confusing because there will be the nine-cap purists and go, actually, Josh, he was the 16th ranked player, so there's no way that that's a win at pick five. And then there is me, um, a uh, punt turnover enjoyer, who will tell you that he finished ninth in category leagues, seventh in totals, eighth in minus one rank. Is that still worth it at pick five? Probably not. It's not far off, though. You don't mind picking someone in the middle of the first round and they end up in the back quarter of the first round. It's not, it's not a loss. It's not a, big, it's not a big killing at all, right? We know that there are certain things around Luca that you have to deal with. Not a great free throw guy, but you get elite assists, great rebounds, great scoring, big three volume, pretty strong field goals. Actually, 50% field goals, really good. Played pretty much most of the season. Like wasn't, you know, missed a couple of games at the end, but 66 games is close to league average. A little bit under where you want it to be. You're going to get the pushback through forums and Twitter and all that sort of stuff. No way. Luca's going to get overdrafted again. No way I'd pick him at pick five. No way I'd pick him at pick six. I don't know where I'd pick him next season. The big question though is going to be here with Luca is the value of him when Kyrie arrived was not, what's that not, was not great. That's not true. It was great. It was not what you wanted. He was 16th. And that's not including turnovers. When Kyrie arrived. Why? What happened? Well, his usage, it was at 36 all season. It was still 36 when Kyrie was there. So what happened? He averaged two and a half points fewer, just 30 points a game. He went from eight assists to seven and a half assists. He shot 48 from the field, 78 from the line, which is an improvement. 32 from three. So what dropped off? What was the big issue here? What caused him to fall? Usage was fine. Minutes were the same, 36. Scoring dropped almost three points per game. What was the problem? Steals. Look, that's, that's really it, steals. He went from 1.4 to one. And while, yes... His points dropped two points per game, but his free throws went up four percentage points. His assists were half an assist down. That's that's okay, but like it's not a big deal. It's you lose half an assist or you lose half a steal. Half a steal is like five, six times more impactful. And that's got absolutely nothing to do with Kyrie being there. So while we can look at it and go, well, Kyrie hurt when he arrived, it, it really impacted Luca. 
He had the exact same usage with half an assist less. He still scored 30 a game. He still had 78 free throw, which is actually an improvement. The one thing that did change and part of what probably hurt a little bit was the free throw attempts went down somewhat. So while he improved his percentage, he didn't. He took one fewer free throw per game. So that's somewhat of a, of a downturn there. But overall, the, the big difference really is 1.4 steals versus one steal. That's what pushed him from 9th to 16th in the full season versus the Kyrie part of the season. And that, I would argue, has nothing to do with Kyrie. So a lot of, there'll be a lot of, and I'm talking a lot about Luca because he's bloody important in fantasy. There'll be a lot of discussion about Luca come draft time next season. Remember this, you get a base of knowledge pushing through. Remember this, and people go, well, look, he was actually, and someone, and someone will pull out his nine cat ranking post All-Star and or post trade and they'll look at it and say, well, Luca was actually 27th when Kyrie arrived. There's no way I'm taking him in the first round. But the reason behind it is not usage, it's not assists, it's not scoring, it's not threes, it's steals. It's not minutes, it's steals. And it's got nothing to do with Kyrie. You can have your reasons for avoiding Luca at certain spots, but it was steals. And do we actually know that how they're going to go long-term in a full season if Kyrie's even back? I don't know. Because it was like 20 games, 19 games. It wasn't much, but it was steals. Remember that. He was still unbelievable in his impact metrics, 99th in percentile EPM, same as estimated wins, 95th in LeBron. Darko, interestingly, had him 16th in the NBA at plus 3.5. I thought Darko would have had him higher. You can see how quickly he elevated into an elite player and how he's consistently getting better in that Darko graph, but you know, still they're not considering him a top 10 guy, which is a little bit interesting. His fantasy points graph, just, well, we know. He's like, he's the number one fantasy points player all season. And he was great. And there's no really debate about that. You can look at his impact where Kyrie arrived on this EPM graph. It did drop off somewhat, but he had some lower points like that early in the season. I don't really think it's fair to um, assign that that concern to Kyrie arriving. The Kyrie problem to me wasn't offensively, it wasn't Lucas stats. It was what the hell happened defensively. And that takes us to Kyrie Irving. He was the 12th ranked player this season. And honestly, that's a, that's a W. He was 18th in total value, despite being Kyrie and missing games through suspensions and time off and trades. He still played 60 games this season. He was 15th in points leagues, 14th in minus one leagues. He had an ADP of 17. When all settled in the preseason, I had him at 12. And I said, take him with the last pick in the first round. I think that worked out okay. Obviously, it's a missed time, but you like what happened. But he is 31. Now, I think that he is elite enough to, if this was a sub-elite player at age 31, you'd go, oh, we're expecting regression. Kyrie and a lot of these elite guys push that out further and their regression comes 33-34. Got to do a little bit more work on aging curves, I think, at some point. But the elite guys, anecdotally for me, when you're all-NBA, multi-time all-star player, nine, seven, whatever, time all-star, your decline doesn't start at 31, it goes 33, 34. And then if you're LeBron, it never never starts. You never decline, apparently. Yes, you do, a little bit, but you know what I mean. So Kyrie, one of the, I guess the red flag with Kyrie here is 37 minutes. Can he continue that? Now, when in Dallas, he actually played 38 minutes a night. And he's had a lot of injuries in the past, but he wasn't significantly injured this season. He wasn't significantly injured last season. He wasn't significantly injured the year before. Yes, he missed tons of time, but that's for the whole hella of it all, not because of injury. 28% usage, 27 points, three threes, five rebounds, five and a half assists, 1.1 steals, shot 49, 38, and 91, all absolutely elite numbers. And what did he do when he went to Dallas? Well, he was actually better. He was the seventh ranked player in Dallas. 27 points, five rebounds, six assists, three threes. Why did he improve? What was different about him? How did he jump up? Well, you're not going to like the answer. But the answer is basically, well, he had more steals. He went from 1.1 to 1.3. Is that a big difference? Absolutely not. Does it make a difference in fantasy rankings? Absolutely, yes. It makes a huge difference. Unfortunately, that is the problem with low-volume stats. He also shot 95% from the line in Dallas, so pushed him from a really good guy to an unbelievably good guy in free throws. So I wouldn't take him a pick seven because he finished seventh in his time in Dallas, and if he's back there, like he still remains to me. Again, no idea how it's going to pan out, but probably around a turn sort of guy, at 11 to 17 type of player. His advanced stats were brilliant. 
actually higher than and, Ky- and then Luca in, in Darko. Plus 4.1, 13th. 97th percentile EPM, 98th percentile estimated wins, 81st in LeBron. Yeah, that graph continues to get better and better on Darko. Like just improving at, at age 31 is impressive. His fantasy points graph, he's not as good in points leagues as category leagues, but still far above minutes. The blue line ahead of the red line. You can see a lot of gaps there from time missed. Big suspension at the start. But overall, 60 games played is not a disaster for Kyrie. And his impact stuff, you can see the dotted line in the middle there. That's the trade. He was really starting to put together big stuff for Brooklyn. It did fall away. A consistent sort of downward trend in terms of impact. Some of that impact stuff is to do with roster construction and the team around you. He was still pretty good on an individual stat basis. And then after those two, two absolutely elite players who probably are going to play together again next season, now things turn bad because we get to the crucifix Christian Wood as the next ranked player. And I think a lot of people, if they didn't have Christian Wood on their team, or even if they did have Christian Wood on their team, would have told you that there is no way Christian Wood was a rosterable player all season, that he was definitely outside the top 150 and he was bad. And that's not true. There were plenty of times where he was bad, but he finished 77th, 84th in points leagues. His ADP was 65. I think I was looking at him more around the 75, 80 mark, but the interesting thing with him is, is a lot of people were looking to go higher on him. So a lot of people picked him ahead of 65. Remember, that's an average. I believe, and I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe I had him in the 75, 85 range, um, maybe even lower, because I believed that when Jason Kidd and Mark Cuban said, JaVale McGee is our starting center, that I said they will not start Christian Wood, which puts a cap on his overall value. Now, there were people that were just like, Christian Wood is going to start. What are you talking about? He's going to be an all-star. Luke is going to set him up for all these points. And they were going higher than that. So, yeah, there are, yeah, that, so that ADP is, is interesting. But he had some very weird moments where he was really bad early in the season. We'll, we'll look at this in a second. Had a real spike, which when Kidd inserted him in the starting lineup, he started blocking like 2.7 shots a game for about a 10-game stretch. And that elevated his numbers through the roof. And there are a lot of people going, well, maybe he's now just this really good defender who can do all this stuff. And then he got hurt as well and never recovered. And it just went back to being the guy that he's been his whole life. He's 28. Well, he's 27. He'll be 28 next season. 67 games, 26 minutes, 25 usage, average 17 and 7, one and a half threes, 1.1 blocks. Remember, there was a stretch he was going over two. 52, 38, and 77. So all these numbers, you go, man, this is 16 and 7 over a block. He played 67 games. He had... Yet unbelievable shooting splits. Yet, he wasn't awesome. Now, I was surprised to look at his advanced stats and to see that they were okay. Darko really liked him. 92nd, 92nd ranked player in the NBA. 70th in estimated wins. 70th percentile in estimated wins. 66th percentile in EPM. The Darko graph, you can see how poorly he started his career, but sort of hovering around being a solid top third NBA player, which is totally okay. There were times that I think he was misused by Jason Kidd, but part of my concern for him when Kyrie was traded is you cannot have three gigantic negatives on the court for huge amounts of time together. That's Kyrie, Luca, and Wood as your three main players. It will not work. You'll get cooked. He needs to be on a bad team where he can do whatever he wants. Houston, score a lot. The lack of defense doesn't matter. And I, I don't know where he goes from here. Can Will a team be suckered into trading for him, not trading for him, signing him and thinking he's a missing piece? I would suggest absolutely not. That's why, you know, he didn't go for a high price in a trade from the Rockets. That's why when he was signed, it was by the Rockets, a team not really you know, competing huge amounts and there's, he's not valued around the NBA that way. At age 28, can he do what he did this season again? Totally possible. But the complete lack of defense, the complete black holeness offensively in terms of passing means that most teams are going to be like, I, I don't really think you move the needle for us. So while he was 77th in category leagues, 84th in points leagues this season, and I reckon there is a chance he could be around that mark again, expecting more out of him, well, wait till he gets to a better situation. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that exists. And everything's a possibility, right? Any lots of things can happen. But I'm not someone here, and someone tweeted this to me the other day, go, hey, Josh, you know, I don't always agree with you. Um, which is great. I don't want someone to always agree with me. But yeah, I really like the way that you try and be, give honest opinions on people because not everyone is going to be good. 
and you can't give best case scenario for every single player at all points and always highlight the positives and say, well, this can happen. Well, I think he's going to be good and he's going to do this because it's not realistic. It doesn't, it's not real. And I try and look a lot more when I'm talking about players with more of a longer term view. And I've got no problem with always taking flyers on guys and taking short, short grabs and seeing what comes out of it. But when I look at a Cam Thomas, a bowl bowl, when they come out in a weird situation and go bananas for 10 games or five games, and I look at them and go, yeah, I don't actually think this is a good player who can sustain this. And they'll get figured out quickly. And that's, you know, sometimes that's my detriment because I can be slow to uh, change my mind on a player or um, I'm not as bullish on grab this guy and it's going to last the whole time, which is great. People love hearing, man, this guy's going to be awesome. Go do it now. Um, and yeah, Wood will come out and have big games. And you can see it on that graph. There's like 60 plus fantasy point games here, multiple of them which is awesome. But also when I'm skeptical, it was right for the other 70 games of the season. So there is a situation where Christian Wood finds himself on a team and he's either on a bad team or a team that loses someone to a big injury and he's able to put up a big usage season. But overall, his value as a player, I don't see him ever being a guy to fit in, be a, you know, ideally what you would want for him is Miami Chris Bosch. Now he's not Miami Chris Bosch, obviously. But that's how he can be successful. But I don't think it's ever happening. And for fantasy, that's what he can become, Like which is the 30th, 40th best player, he scores 17 points, impact player, gets more minutes. The reason he doesn't get more minutes is because not an impact player, even though some of those advanced metrics are relatively positive. So his value is going to depend a lot on what happens in free agency. And I think even if he is back in Dallas, I'd expect similar numbers, honestly. I think there's like 2% chance he's back in Dallas. But there were moments that he was fine, but they've got to figure out how he can play with Kyrie and Luca because honestly, I don't think that he can. Look at his metric graph, real dip here in the middle, in his um, EPM, and then sort of just went back to being around league average, around a zero, which is not actually league average. A league average and EPM is like a negative one. So he's above league average, just being solid enough and neutral. Versus, neutral versus average are two different terms. And I'm talking a lot about Christian Wood here because after Christian Wood, there is nobody relevant on this team. So we'll talk about them, but they're not relevant. Let's talk about Tim Hardaway. And most of these guys we're going to talk about, they're all older than you think. Tim Hardaway's 31. He was the 197th ranked player this season, 162 in points leagues. He was drafted at 140 in 23% of leagues. Totally okay. But you cut him straight away. He didn't start all season. He was sort of in and out of lineups. He started a lot of games. 30 minutes a game still, 71 games, 20% usage. 14 points. He hit three threes. That's the value. Three threes, 39%. But what else, man? Nothing. Under two assists, 0.7 steals, 40% from the field, 77 from the line. Much like Christian Wood, I was surprised that his impact metrics were as good as they were. 79th percentile in EPM, 83rd percentile, plus 5.6 wins in, EP, in estimated wins. LeBron hated him, though. He was 37th percentile compared to starters. Darko had him at 117, which I think is a fair representation of where he was. And after his poor start to his career in Atlanta and New York, he's developed into an okay, positive player. Like, not, not terrible not great, not worth his contract, but okay. But for fantasy, it's not there. He needs big usage. He's not going to get it on this team. He doesn't do anything apart from score and hit threes, and even the scoring is below average. And he's 31. He also doesn't make a huge amount of sense next to Kyrie and Luca. So the future on this team is not really there. And if you wait another year or a half a year and then move on from him, he's 31, he's 32. And then well, where does it get better? I don't think it does. A lot of troubling red over blues, which we are, if you are watching on YouTube, that means more minutes than fantasy points, which is never a good thing. In the middle of the season, that happened quite a bit. He was back and forward in between the starting lineup. And I just don't ever see him being an impact player. His EPM stuff, they have some improvements towards the end of the season, played a little bit of a larger role with the absence of Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie. But this is not what you want to bank your team on. This is an interesting player. It's Josh Green. Why is he interesting? Because, and I know that doesn't explain much, but because he finished. Now, if you are watching on YouTube, you know the answer, but if you're listening on audio, based on the hype that Josh Green got, you would think that he would have been, let's say, worst case, a top 170 player overall for the season. And but you'd be wrong. He was 236th. He was 245th in points leagues. He wasn't drafted anywhere. And he had that run where immediately when the Kyrie trade happened, 
people are like, well, they've lost Dinwiddie, they've lost Finney Smith, we must add Josh Green. And then, of course, Luca was out, Kyrie was out where there was no trade, and Green put up big numbers. And people were like, this is great. And then he did nothing. He averaged nine points in 26 minutes, 14 usage. He hit a three. He shot really well. 40% from three, 54 from the field, 72 from the line. But nine, three, and 1.7 with only 0.7 steals as a really, really solid perimeter wing defender, which I think he is. Um, it's not very good. Now, I'll offer a couple of opinions on Green. I think Josh Green can be a solid NBA starter. I think he can be. I also don't think he's ever going to be a solid fantasy contributor. I think he's going to be a starter in the ways that Isaac Okoro doesn't produce for fantasy. Not quite that level because Green showed a few flashes. But as with so many guys, if you put them in a situation where no other good players are around, somebody has to score. Somebody has to get usage. And Green did that. But he's not a guy that's going to get that usage at the detriment of other players. He's only 22. He can develop that. But nothing in Josh Green's career at college or in the NBA would suggest he'll ever be that player that is getting the ball enough and doing enough things. And I don't actually buy this shooting at all. 40% from three. I think it was at 48% for the first two, three months. And then it fell off. And the 54% is basically just cutting and finishing the rim. Now, I think he's a good finisher, but that's a really high number. The advanced stuff is not super positive on him. Darko actually really doesn't like him at all. Negative 1.6 at 350th. And you can see the graph, like just solid progression, nice little spike. And then when he was pushed into this weird role where Kyrie was there, uh, things really fell apart for Josh Green down the end of the season. And he sort of didn't know where he was. Now, he's only 22. There's still plenty of room to improve. But while we saw that little spike in the middle of the season, and you can see that's probably the only time here where the blue and the red lines intersect. There was a couple of moments there, but you can those moments are when Kyrie and Luca weren't there. He needed both guys to be out to put up decent numbers. And realistically, you're never going to turn a team over to Josh Green. He didn't find enough ways to contribute, just never usage, no usage at all. And while he could improve, say if Christian Wood is gone next season and they make some wholesale changes and Tim Hardaway goes, he could improve. He should he will have multiple top two hundred seasons. Will he ever have a top one hundred season? Um, I'm a little bit more skeptical on that. And as you can see, like here on this EPM graph, once the trade happened, his EPM cratered. He really couldn't do anything. He just sort of was lost on this team, even though they were pushing him into a larger role because they needed him to replace a Dorian Finney-Smith. But he didn't, and they benched him. And they were playing Kleber, and they were playing um, Reggie Bullock in that position, and Green was sort of in and out. He just really... Now, I thought, again, that was part of the bad coaching from Kidd. You should have just gone with Josh Green and you got to see what he can bring because honestly, in terms of ages, like he's the guy that's closer to Doncic. So you got to see if they can work together. And he didn't really persist with it enough, I don't think. Reggie Bullock. Um, yeah, look. Reggie Bullock's a player who has a really interesting real life um, reputation. 3 and D guy. All right, yeah. But man, some of these numbers... 254th in category leagues, 260th in points leagues. He's 32. He played 78 games in 30 minutes, and you'll notice the big gap between his uh, per game and total rank, 254th versus 186th because he played 78 games. He also somehow got 30 minutes, but with nine usage. Seven points, two threes, but no steals, no blocks, no assists, no rebounds. He shot 38 from three, 41 overall. He never gets to the line. He shot about 5% from three, as he does every season. Can't shoot at all for the first month two months, and then goes on a 45% run. That's what he did. That's what he always seems to do. But he's 32. His advanced metrics were all really very bad. He was actually a negative estimated wins guy. And playing 78 games and actually taking wins off the table is very hard to do. He, that's really bad. And that and if you look at that Darko graph as well, which sort of ties into that, where he being a positive impact player, it disappeared. And we talk about the cliff. The 32, that's the cliff. That's smashing headfirst into the wall. Reggie Bullock, yes, had some shooting issues and did improve there, but you're 31, you're 32, you're not a starter anymore. And relying upon him for 30 minutes a night is part of why this team cratered so much. He's got the bad fantasy points graph where the red is well above the blue, doesn't generate anything. And part of their problem is having to rely upon him for as many minutes as they do. This is the role that Josh Green should play. But again, because they made so many weird trades, or not weird trades, the trade was weird, is that this guy had to play at the four when he's a three. 
and he's even can't even hold up there really anymore. I think that if you go to another season with the expectation that Reggie Bullock plays 30 minutes is, is part of your pro plan, you're not going anywhere. So again, part of that reason why I have very limited faith in what this team does, this should be Josh Green's role, but Kid didn't really believe in that. And Green can move into this role, but again, remember this role is a 10% usage role. And when Kyrie and Luca are there, you're probably going to be in that same position. So Bullock, we probably don't need to talk about for fantasy too much as we move forward, and there's not a lot to look at in that graph. But again, horrible early, nice spike, dropped off. Let's talk Dwight Powell because he is an unrestricted free agent. And he was sort of out of the rotation early in the season. And then Jason Kidd just went, oh, yeah, these other choices, JaVale McGee, um, aren't it. So Powell moved back into the starting lineup. He didn't do anything from a fantasy perspective, 256 in categories, 274 in points. He's 32 as well, unrestricted free agent. 76 games, 19 minutes, 12 usage, somehow a higher usage than Reggie Bullock. Six points, well, actually seven points, four rebounds, 0.6 steals and 0.3 blocks. Starting center average, 0.3 blocks uh, in 19 minutes. And in the past, he's been a really good field goal percentage guy, and he was, 73%. But he's also been a pretty good uh, steals player and a solid rebounder, and that all fell away. His metrics, though, impressive. Always seems to be something positive happening. And you can't say that it's only because he's playing alongside Luca and then later sent Kyrie, because we just looked at Reggie Bullock who played tons of minutes with those guys that were still a horrible impact player. Dwight Powell was 83rd in EPM, 72nd overall in Darko, 51st percentile LeBron, 77th in estimated wins. And you can see on the Darko graph, he has been a positive player, consistent positive player for years. But he doesn't put up any stats because teams just seem to be better when he's on the court. That doesn't give us much to work with fantasy-wise. And you would think that they've just tried this so often, having him as their starter, and while it's important to this team and their culture and all that sort of stuff, do they bother to bring him back? Because there appears to be, despite the impact, there appears to be a ceiling on what a Dwight Powell starting team can do. And when he comes off the bench, he offers absolutely nothing. Another conundrum of where this team goes. Because Wood's not the answer. McGee is the answer to the question, what was the worst free agent signing? And Powell is not the answer. They need something more at center. Now, usually it can be decently easy to get an impact center or at least an average center. We'll see whether they do it. His EPM relatively consistent across the season, so no big declines or no big jumps when Kyrie arrived. I think one of the things that was a big factor for the Mavericks struggling so much this season was Maxi Kleber. Because Maxi Kleber is a good player. I'll rephrase that. Maxi Kleber used to be a good player. Now, it's really hard to completely judge Kleber on this season. He was 259th in category leagues, 273rd in points leagues. One of those guys that often gets a fantasy category ranking boost because he's no turnovers. He can hit threes and he can block shots at a high rate. And that makes a player look good in fantasy rankings. This season, though, he wasn't very good. Now, he suffered a significant hamstring injury in the middle of the season, which cost him heaps of time. And that is definitely a part of it. But the cliff, man, he's 31. 37 games only, 25 minutes, 10 usage, six points. He hit a three, one three in 25 minutes. Yep, but only 0.8 blocks. And his perimeter defense suffered. He shot 35% from three. His overall efficiency dropped. EPM was a disaster. Estimated wins, negative 1.2. He took one win off the table despite playing 37 games only. Second percentile. Darko was a negative. LeBron was bad. And you can see he's been a solid contributor and then really pushed up towards the end of last season. And then, yeah, Darko thinks that shit is hitting the fan really quickly here for Maxi, which is annoying because I think he's been underutilized at times in his career in Dallas and probably should have had larger roles. But much like McGee and Powell and Wood, he's not the answer. He's a 31-year-old who's coming off a serious injury who's showed pretty significant declines this season. And you can see the big gap in the middle there where he missed all that time. But another player with the red line well above the blue line where minutes are well above fantasy points production. And you can see just how bad he was in his EPM. Had a little spike before he got injured, and then it fell back off again at the end of the season. So while I have been a big Maxi Kleber supporter as a strong player, um, it was, well, I'm not, I don't have to admit anything, but he was down, like obviously. And I'm not, again, at 31, I'm not expecting that to come back. Let's talk positive. Because Jaden Hardy was a positive, I thought. I don't think he should have dropped in the draft as far as he did, down to pick 40. Thought that was pretty silly. 
to see him go down as far as he did. Um, and I think it's smart move from Nico Harrison to grab him at pick 40. Now, was it also dumb of Jason Kidd to never play him and then come out in press conferences and tell, well, you know, I've got to find a way to get him minutes. Yeah, Jason, you can do that. You have control of the minutes. And then he just didn't do it consistently enough. And that's where I have, you know, I suppose, what do you want him? To, I get that question. You know, what do you, what do you want him to say? When Jaden Hardy goes out, drops 20 points in like a half. And the question is, hey, how come Jaden Hardy's not playing? What do you expect him to say? Well, because he sucks in so many other areas. Um, um, because I'm a bad coach. Like, what's he going to say? I've got to find him more minutes. It's a cop-out answer that we all know is a cop-out answer. But I have a little bit of sympathy for him because I don't really know what he's expected to say there. He was... Darko has two main numbers they look at. There's the Darko DPM number and there's the Darko DPM improvement. So over the course of the season, who improved the most? So while his Darko is a negative, we'll go through his other numbers in a second. His Darko is a negative 0.6, which is 216th. He had the 17th biggest improvement of every player in the NBA this season. Now, the part of that is because rookies have really no prior data, but he went from yeah, a negative a lot and then ended the season right up as a, like, almost a positive. That's really impressive. LeBron didn't love him as much. EPM was okay, but there's an, that's an encouraging trend to start his career. Let's go back to his base numbers. 324th in category leagues, Jaden Hardy. 309th in point six. He's 21. Well, he will be 21 soon. 48 games, 15 minutes, 25 usage. Nine points, 1.33s. 44 from the field, 40 from three, 82 from the line. He shot like 28% in the G League last season from three. So getting that to 40 is impressive. My concern with Jaden Hardy is he can score. Absolutely. Is he Lone Star Cam Thomas? I, th I think he's a better player than Cam Thomas, personally. I think he's got a much brighter future than Cam Thomas. But I also worry that he is a guy that needs full control of things, full control of the ball, full control of usage to be impactful because what is he doing defensively? Is he passing the ball? Three assists per 30 minutes, 0.8 steals per 30 minutes, four rebounds per 30 minutes, not that good. 25 usage as a rookie is important. The shooting numbers are important. The big trajectory improvement is huge. He started five games. He played 32 minutes in those games. He averaged 21, five and three with three threes. Shot poorly, but had three assists. Bad defensive numbers, 0.4 steals. Shot 39% from uh, the field overall, 35 from three. Didn't finish at his twos really high rate, but there was encouragement here. I am way more bullish on him. Who again, same mold of player versus Cam Thomas. I think there's more creation from him, a little bit more passing from him, a little bit more defensive upside from Hardy versus Cam Thomas. But also, how does it make sense for him to have minutes and big role if Kyrie and Luca are there? It doesn't. So he probably will be reduced to a... Like, you can't play them all 30 minutes a game, I don't think. doesn't really make a ton of sense. He's a 6'4 shooting guard next to Kyrie and Luca. I know Luca's bigger and Luca probably is more of a three, but... I don't think that combination makes tons of sense together. So I think if he is in a regular role, and I think he will be next season, I think it'll be 20 minutes a night. Could, like, could he take the 30 minutes that Hardaway plays? Hardaway's still on the roster though. Could he take the minutes Bullock played? That's Josh Green's role. I think we're going to get an improvement from Hardy, who was outside the top 300 in fantasy. He'll probably push into the top 200, 220 maybe. But I don't think we're quite there to a full unleashment he is a big usage guy. He does need the ball a lot. And it just, depending on what else happens. Now, if Kyrie goes and they're like, right, Jaden Hardy's our starter next to Luca, then I'm all, I'm all in. Because I, yeah, Luca can put up his numbers while someone else gets 30% usage. And while Hardy probably wouldn't get 30, he'd get 26, 27. He might average 18 points with three threes and four rebounds and three assists, which is still really bloody good. So I am in on him, like way more in on him than his 40th draft overall position. I'm way more in on him than a lot of rookies from this season. I think it might just take a little bit more time. Most of his big games came when Kyrie, uh, when Luca and Kyrie were out. But to be have positive impact games as a rookie, I think it's something that we can't 100% overlook. Lastly, we do have to talk about the disaster that was JaVale McGee because he was drafted. 394th in category leagues, 413th in points leagues, 
He was drafted in 37% of leagues at pick 137. And I don't really care about drafting a pick 137 because, again, we have the information. You are going to... JaVale McGee is our starter. We paid him an insane contract. Three years, $7 million a year. Now, I can't remember if it's a team option or player option on the last year. I think it's a player option, which is even more insane. He is 35, and he was bad. But we have seen, if JaVale McGee plays 21 minutes, which we thought he would, we thought he'd play 21 minutes, and Wood would get 27, and that's it. In 21 minutes, he could be 10 points, 8 rebounds, 1.5 blocks, 70% shooting. It's actually useful at that position in the draft. It's actually really useful. He played eight minutes a game. He was out of the starting line within a week. He had four points, two rebounds, 0.6 blocks. He still shot 64% from the field, but 59 from the line. And impact-wise, one of the worst players in the NBA. 10th in estimated wins, 10th percentile, negative number. 10th percentile in APM, 463rd in Darko. And that Darko graph shows just an insane drop-off. He had some moments last season in Phoenix, but holy shit, he was terrible. And that contract is honestly one of the worst in the NBA. And it's not that much, but he's tying it up with $7 million a year. And he just was not playable. And look at this graph. He was just in and out of the rotation. He will have the occasional big game, but putting your faith in JaVale McGee is a, it should have been a fireable offense. Promising the starting job. Three years player option at 34 years of age. It's JaVale McGee. One of the worst off-season decisions that was criticized at the time. Rightfully so. And I don't know... Should they just eat the money on the contract? They got a lot, again, a lot of free agency decisions with Bullock and Kyrie and Wood and um, Powell. But they just need more at center. Every one of their big men is bad at the moment. And Wood's the best of them, but he's still not an impact guy. Really, really bad season for JaVale McGee. And that is going to do it for me today. But I am going to do another show. I don't know if it's going to come out today or it might come out tomorrow. Talking about the fantasy basketball playoffs. Dates what we do with them, how we set things up. And I'm going to do another show later this week just on settings in general for fantasy leagues, what I think needs to be done. And we'll probably do another one of these in the preseason too, but just adjustments and lessons that we learned from fantasy league settings. We'll do that later this week as well. Guys, follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you're on YouTube, you thumb it up and you leave those comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.